Hey guys, this is Pastor Neil. I just want to say thank you so much for joining us today on this podcast. Hey, would you do us a huge favor today? Would you subscribe, like, or leave us a review wherever you get this content? It really helps us reach other people with the gospel. Also, we would love, love to see you at our campus uh, on a Sunday morning. We meet at 1010 South Bowie Drive in Weatherford, Texas. You can check out our service times and more information about the church on our on our website, waterhousechurch.com. Check us out on Facebook or any other social media sites that you may have. We would love to see you. I pray that today you are renewed, restored, refreshed, and that your spirit comes alive. Now here is today's message. We're not in a hurry this morning. Because God has something for you. I, I, I said the Miranda rights because, I mean, some of you may, may have heard those personally from someone, but <laughs> I've never heard them personally from someone, but I know what they are, right? You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in the court of law. See, our mouths get us in trouble because our mouths want to defend our cause our mouths want to get back. We want to speak out in our defense. But today I want to talk to you about letting the Lord be your defender, letting him plead your case, letting him do what he's come to do. He's, he's our defender. He is our counselor. He is the one that stands at the right hand of the Father interceding for us, meaning he's speaking to the Father about us, to the Father. He's saying, I see what they're doing, but I've got that covered. I, I've covered that, and they are righteous and my sight, don't look at them, look at me. And Jesus is our defender. He is the good shepherd, like we talked about last week. Man, I think it's just been a beautiful morning already this morning. And I can't wait to share this word for you because I know it's timely and it's good. And, the, and um, thank you, Bobby. Thank you. Yes. Thank you for being obedient. Powerful. The name of Jesus is powerful. And that's why we've been going through this series, the Jesus series, <laughs> in Isaiah 53, been learning about who Christ is and what he's done for us and what he wants to do through us. And there's so much more to the Christian life than saying a prayer and going to heaven. The Christian life is, is meant to live in power and authority. The, the Christian life is supposed to, to be a light to this world that needs to know the truth. And God has put his people in a place to spread that truth and to be a light. But so often, like I said, our mouths and our attitudes and our actions kind of cover up the light. Jesus said you wouldn't put a lamp on a stand and cover it with a bowl. But sometimes our actions and our need to get even, our need to defend ourselves, taint our light where people can't see it. Jesus is the example that we follow. Jesus stood there and let people accuse him and mock him, but yet he did not say a word. And that's going to be our passage today. Uh, for time's sake, we're not going to dive, we're not going to get up and, and repeat chapter 53 like we always do. But I do want to have us read together the passage that we're going to talk about today, which is Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8. And so if you rise with me for the reading of the word, we're going to read this together. And then we're going to get into the message this morning. So here we go. Verse seven. 
He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shears. He did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. Thank you, Lord, for the word. Thank you, God, for today. Thank you for this message. Lord, let it hit the hearts of those today that need to hear it. Open our ears to hear and our eyes to see what you're doing. In Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. amen. Have a seat. This passage um, is, is, is a powerful passage. We talk about Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 is talking about Jesus. It's very plain as you read it that this is talking about a person, not a nation, not uh, an, not a group of individuals. He's talking about Jesus. And we know this to be Jesus because when Philip the evangelist, Philip is one of the disciples, Jesus called him to go and to meet this man on the road, this, this man from Ethiopia. And if you know anything about the story, you can find it in Acts chapter 8. And I want to read it to you because this clearly shows that this passage, Isaiah 53, is talking about one, the one and only Jesus Christ. And so in verse 30, it says, Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. So there's this man in a chariot, this Ethiopian eunuch in a chariot reading the prophet Isaiah. The Lord tells Philip to go to him. Philip goes to him and he hears him reading this passage. And Philip asks him, do you understand what you're reading? And the man replied, how can I unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up in the carriage and sit with him. The passage of scripture he had been reading was exactly the one we just read. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of, a, of his descendants? For his life was taken from this earth. And then the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, was this a prophet? Was this prophet talking about himself or someone else? So beginning with the same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. And as they rode along, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized now? And so he ordered the carriage to stop, and they went down to the water, and Philip baptized him. And I pray that today we get a revelation of who Jesus is, just like Philip. Just like Philip gave this, this Ethiopian a revelation of who Christ was. He knew there was something to this passage he was reading. And he was saying, Who is this person? Is it somebody else? Is it the prophet or is it somebody else? And Philip tells him, this is Jesus Christ. I've met him. I've walked with him. I know him. Let me introduce you to him. And his heart immediately shifted and repented and came to Jesus. And he said, why can't I be baptized right at this moment? And I pray that people in here today would have that same attitude, like, show me Jesus right now. Teach me more about him. That's why we're opening up Isaiah 53. Jesus didn't say a word in front of his accusers. We see in scripture where Jesus was put on trial, he stood there while they accused him of all kinds of things. He stood there while they mocked him and beat him and oppressed him. Matthew chapter 27 uh, and Matthew chapter 26 also very claim, plainly talk about this moment. In verse 20, uh, chapter 26 and verse 62, it says, then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, aren't you gonna answer for these charges? What do you have to say for yourself? But Jesus remained silent. Then the high priest said to him, I demand in the name of the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the son of God. Jesus did say something. He said, you have said it. 
And then he quotes this scripture passage from Daniel chapter 7. And in the future, you will see the Son of Man seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds in heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes in horror and said, Blasphemy, why do, you need, why do we need other witnesses? We have heard all this blasphemy. What is your verdict? Guilty, they shouted. He deserves to die. At this moment, this is fulfilling this prophecy of Isaiah 53. He was sat there quiet while they accused him. They led him off like a sheep to the slaughter. And then while in the court of Pilate, we see Jesus standing there again, not defending himself. Jesus was standing before Pilate, Matthew chapter 27, the Roman governor. Are you the king of the Jews? The governor asked him. And Jesus replied, again, you've said that. He's not taking a stance either way. He's like, that's what you've said. But then the leading priests and the elders made their accusations against him. Jesus remained silent. And he said, don't you hear all these charges they are bringing against you, Pilate demanded. But Jesus made no response to any of the charges to much of the governor's surprise. His only response was, you've said so. You notice he wasn't defending his position and he didn't deny it either. <laughs> Why? Because he knew who he was. Jesus knew who he was, he knew whose he was, and he knew why he was. And when you're being accused, believer, or you're being mocked, or you're, you're, you're being put on trial for believing in Jesus, it's these three things that we can hold on to that keep us centered and, and, and moving forward into what God's called us to do. We know who we are, whose we are, and why we are. Jesus knew that he was the son of God. And because he was the son of God, he knew his mission what was his mission? To bring glory to the Father. And he knew whose he was. He was the Father's one and only Son. So what could man say to him? What could people do to him? What on earth could the world do to him? And believer, I think that's good in this time of age that we live in because, you know, a lot of people are fearful about what's going on in the world, especially as believers. There's, there's more and more uh, persecution happening. But we as believers can stand firm and say, I don't have to worry about it because I know who I am. I know whose I am and I know why I am. And because of that, I can walk forward in full confidence and not be moved one way or another when things come at me. I can stay firm in who I am in Jesus Christ no matter what comes. Jesus stood there in the midst of accusations, in the midst of this mock trial, in this kangaroo court, and yet he didn't have to defend himself because he knew that someone greater than him was defending him. He knew who he was, whose he was, and why he was. Peter reminds us of Jesus and how he responded to these people and how we are to respond just like Christ. When things come up against us and people accuse us of doing wrong or people accuse us of other things that aren't true, what do we do in those moments? Well, like I said, a lot of us, we want to defend our own cause. We want to form a committee, get all our friends around us, right, and get back at them. We want to retaliate. We want to get revenge. We want to defend who we are. That's not true. Remember when you were kids? Some of you have siblings. Some of you don't have siblings. But if you have siblings, this was the argument. She touched me. No, I didn't. She's looking at me. No, I didn't. I didn't do that. And then you'd, get, you'd, do, you'd break something in the house. What would happen? Your sibling would tell on you. And what would you do? 
you would lie. This is proof that kids need Jesus, man. They need Jesus. You would lie because you're trying to minimize what's going to happen to you. And you're like, no, I mean, I bumped it, but mom, I didn't break it on purpose. Ah." Because you knew the whooping was coming. And your sibling would laugh gleefully while it was happening. But we don't, we don't have to be that way. Jesus wasn't that way. He didn't make excuses. He didn't do anything. Peter outlines here how we are to act as believers. If we're going to act like Jesus, if we're going to be like our example, how do we move forward in this when things are coming at us and people are accusing us of wrongdoing and we're suffering for not doing anything wrong, just for being who we are in Christ? He says this, and he's really talking to slaves here. But really, this carries over into all walks of life because you, this is talking about how people treat you. In 1 Peter 2.8, Peter reminds us, you who are slaves must submit to your masters with all respect. Do you work, let me put this in something very tangible. Do you work for somebody? How do you, how do you respond to how they treat you? This is what he's saying. We're all, we all work for somebody. We're all slaves to something. He's saying, are you a slave? You who are slaves must submit to your masters with all respect. Just because someone treats you poorly doesn't mean you can disrespect them. He's saying, look, respect them. Do what they tell you, not only if they are kind and reasonable. How many of you have unreasonable bosses? Don't raise your hand. Okay, you're about to go. Yeah, I'm looking for my staff. Okay, no. Even, not even, not only if they're kind of responsible, but even if they are cruel. What? He goes, for God is pleased when conscious of his will, meaning you're understanding what he's wanting, you patiently endure unjust treatment. Peter's like, believer, you're going to go through things. You have to patiently endure the treatment that's being thrown at you. And then he goes, of course, you get no credit for being patient if you're being, if you're being beaten for doing wrong. I mean, if you're doing stupid stuff and you're not showing up to work and you're not, and you're being late all the time and you're not doing what you're supposed to do, don't get mad because you got disciplined. But he's saying, but otherwise you're doing everything for Christ. You're doing all that you can to be right. But yet all these bad things keep happening to you. Here's your attitude. God's going to be pleased with you. I love that. Pleased with you. When you endure patiently unjust treatment. I want, I want to break that word down to you a little bit. When we're unjustly attacked or accused, treated harshly for no good reason, remember this, that we are slaves to righteousness. So this does apply to everybody. If you're a believer, you're a slave to righteousness. You're a slave to Jesus Christ. We are indebted to him and we are his servants. And so... How do we walk in this? Jesus says he is, God is, I mean, Peter says that God is pleased with us. What do you think that means to be when God is pleased with you or takes pleasure in you? I think we kind of have this really bad American ideal of pleasure. It's kind of uh, almost pornographic. But pleasure is, it's really like when I see my kids walking in all that God created them to be. When I see my children having fulfilled and, and uh, full lives, when I see people I care about walking in their full purpose, 
and, and, and being fruitful and, and their lives are just this beautiful display of who God is, that brings pleasure to me. That brings uh, an overwhelming joy to me. And this passage is saying that, G, that God, when he sees us living up to their, our full potential, when he sees us being who we are and the character that he's put into us, when he sees us walking in this fullness of who he is, he gets pleasure from it. He gets joy from it. It's like, look at my kids go. Look at my boy. Look at my girl. Look at him go. My goodness, I saw how they treated you. I saw what's going on. And you stood there and endured it patiently. You didn't, you didn't get off on them. You didn't try to get even with them. You didn't try to take them out. You didn't lie about it. You stood there and justly took it, knowing that I'm the one that's going to defend you. And you didn't step out of your character. You didn't step out of what I made you to be. I love this. I, re I read this uh, from, from a theologian. I didn't get his name. I just, I just read it. And it says, patience is remaining persistent in the face of opposition. We think of patience as sitting in a room for hours and hours, right, waiting for somebody. But true patience, this enduring patience that he's talking about, is, is remaining persistent in the face of opposition. Meaning no matter what comes at me, I'm going to remain steadfast. No matter who's trying to push me to the left or to the right or trying to take me off of my purpose, I'm going to patiently endure it. I'm fixed on, like anchored into the purpose of God in my life. He says this, patience is staying anchored when everything around me is getting off course. When the storms of life come at you, it's, you're anchoring into who Christ is and you can endure it patiently. And you don't have to fight back because you know who you are in God. You know whose you are and you know why you are. And because he's called you to do good, in verse 21, he says, for God called you to do good. Believer, no matter what happens in your life, no matter how people treat you, no matter how crazy the world has gotten, he still called you to do good. Not do evil, not get back, not get even. And he goes, even if it means suffering. Even if it means suffering. For just as Christ suffered for you, he is the example and you must follow in his steps. What he's saying is like, Jesus has laid the track for you. All you got to do is step into where he stepped and respond in the way that he responded. Be like Christ. We are called what? Christians, right? Little Christ ones. That's what Christian means. We are to be like Christ. We are to walk like he walks and, and be like who he is. And he says, for God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you, he's the example, you must follow his steps. And so here's the steps. Step one, he never sinned. Oh man, I'm done. Game over, we're done. Can't you take that step? No, he's saying, look, Jesus never sinned, okay? Like he never deceived anyone. He didn't willfully sin. He didn't willfully walk into things. He didn't willfully, and he, decide, he, didn't, he never lied about anything. He didn't have to deceive because he knew who he was. He didn't have to step out of his character to get what the father could give to him. He didn't have to deceive anyone. He didn't have to lie to get what he needed because he knew whose he was and he knew why he was. See, even though he suffered, he never sinned or lied to minimize the suffering. Like, it's like kind of back to the, the kid uh, illustration. You would lie to your parents to, to minimize the suffering that's going to happen. Right? I didn't mean to. She pushed me. I fell into it. I was sleepwalking. Whatever. You, you lie 
to try to get out of it. Jesus didn't lie to try to get out of it. He stood there while they mocked him and, and yelled at him and accused him. He could have lied at that moment. He could have said, I never said that. You people are crazy. You don't. He didn't lie. He stood on the truth of who he was, and the truth stood tall over every accusation. The truth stood tall over every accusation. I'm telling you, some of you right now are in this moment. People are coming against you. They're lying. They're not telling the truth. They're, they're twisting your words. They're twisting your motives. And you want to fight back and you want to come back at them and you want to lie as well to minimize the pain that you're going through. But be like Jesus and stand there in the truth and it will overcome the accusations. When you're rooted in truth, the lie cannot penetrate you. The lie cannot move you. The lie cannot take you down. The truth stands tall over accusations. Jesus stood there tall while they lied about him. And he's just like, I'm doing what God called me to do. I don't care what you say. I'm committed to this thing. I'm committed to going to the cross. I know my destiny. I know my purpose. He never lied. Jesus submitted himself to the cause that God had called him to do. He submitted himself to glorify God by going to the cross for you and for me. And submission is this, is to simply put yourself up under the authority of another thing. We don't like that word in America, right? We don't like anything. What do you mean? I'm, under, I'm not under anybody. I'm, I'm the king of my castle, right? But to submit means to put yourself, like sub, submarine, right? Submit to so put yourself up under the authority of someone else. Jesus had his, he put himself under the authority of God. He's, what did he say? He says, I only say what the father tells me to say. I only do what I see the father doing. It was complete submission. And we as believers have to submit our whole life to Jesus. If there's an area of your life that's out of whack, it's because it's not submitted to him. Submit it to him and watch it thrive. Watch it grow because he's a good master. He's not a wicked slave owner. He's a good master and he loves you. He calls you son, he calls you daughter. He completely trusted the father, no matter the outcome. Can you, can you trust God no matter the outcome? That's hard. Faith is, is knowing that God can do something and has the power to do it. But trust is believing in the results. It's like, whatever you want to do, God, however you want to answer this prayer, I'm submitted to it. And I'm trusting in you. I'm not trusting in what I want or what I need or what I think is best. I'm not going to bend it to get what I want. I'm trusting in you. I'm submitting myself to you. Jesus was submitted to God and he was submitted to him because he knew who he was, whose he was and why he was. Jesus knew his mission and submitted himself unto death to complete it. He stood on the truth of who he was, why he was, and whose he was. And this truth allowed Jesus to stand before evil people and take it. Take the mocking, the beings, all the things that was oppressed on him. Jesus stood there while, he hurled, while they hurled insults and demanded that they would kill him. And then in verse 23, step two. So don't lie. Step two, he did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. 
because Jesus knew who he was, who he was and why he was, he could stand there and not feel like he had to retaliate. It was Jesus. I mean, he could have called down fire from heaven. He could have killed them all, wiped out the Romans right there, called the angels down from heaven. It would have been a massacre. And he's like, I'm the king now. He could have retaliated, but he knew who he was. He knew his purpose. And he knew that no matter what happened, that God's going to be his defense. He didn't threaten people with revenge. He wasn't on the cross saying, I'm going to get you. I'm coming. I'm coming back. I'll be back. Yeah, that's it. I'll be back. He didn't say that. He's like, God, forgive them for they don't know what they do. He loved them. Even in that. Jesus loves you even in the worst part of your life. He's not seeking revenge. He's not saying, I'm killed, man. I'm going to get you. He's saying, I love you. I forgive you. I have a purpose for you. He didn't have to retaliate or threaten revenge. Like I said, he could have retaliated, no problem. But he understood who he was, who he belonged to, and he understood his mission. He knew that his kingdom was not of this world, John 18. When he's talking to Pilate, Pilate says, are you a king? He's like, well, my kingdom's not of this world. If it were, my subjects would fight to defend it. I come from another kingdom. Do you know that you come from another kingdom, believer? If you're a believer in Christ, that you are part of the kingdom of heaven now, like heaven has come and is in you, and you carry heaven wherever you go. You go what? What? Yeah. His spirit resides in you. Therefore, wherever you go, you bring the kingdom with you. You don't have to fight for this world. Our fight is not of this world. And here's the thing I want you to know. The moment you start to defend yourself, the moment you start to retaliate, the moment you start to fight back, you lose every bit of authority you have in your life. Because you step down of who God's created you to be and you've stepped into where they're at. God has put you in a high place. He has put you here to glorify him. For people to see your life and say, that's Jesus in that person. But the moment I step down out of my purpose, like step down on the ground, the moment I step down here and start fighting back and retaliating, I've become just like everybody else. And I've lost who I am in him. I've lost my authority in Jesus. I said, Jesus, I got this. Hold on. And this never worked out for me. <laughs> never. I'm telling you, when you let Jesus defend you, he's the better authority. Hmm. Because here's the thing, people are always going to have their opinions about you. Man, anytime you try to do anything for God, they're going to have their opinions. What? What are you going to do that? That's crazy. When I, uh, when I became youth pastor, I had a lot of people question that because if they knew my past, like, oh, you're a youth pastor now? I guess they let anybody do that. That's exact words. And I thought, yeah, they probably do. But I know what Jesus said to do. And I said, okay, Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do. 
And, and as I moved into this ministry thing, I felt like the Lord telling us to tell me to step down from my job. And now listen very carefully to what I'm saying to you. I'm not giving you permission to quit your jobs. But I'm saying, <laughs> but what I'm saying is God will ask you to do some things. Sometimes he will ask you to do things that don't make sense because he's leading you to something different, something new. He's asking you to step out of your comfort zone. And when I was going, I felt called to full-time ministry, and I was at a job that was a very good job. And I, the Lord's like, you need to quit, and you go into full-time ministry. I'm like, Lord, but they don't pay anything, <laughs> despite what you think. <laughs> because I couldn't make, I mean, this church was very small at the time, and they couldn't afford anybody but the lead pastor, which was not me. And, and so I'm like, Lord, I, what am I supposed to do? He's like, just, I'm telling you, walk into it, and it'll be there. And so through a matter of months, incremental obedience, I quit being the manager and I went down to supervisor. Then I went down to a grunt and then I went part time. And then I eventually just said, OK, the Lord's proud of me. I got to do this. And I walked into my very own family and told them how because I was super excited, like God's put me in full time ministry. I've quit my job and I'm walking straight into this. And, and they're in ministry. And so I thought they would be just as excited for me. And the response was this, what are you doing? <laughs> Basically, like, oh, that's, that's great. You quit your job. That's wonderful. They didn't understand. And at that moment, I could have defended my case. No, Jesus told me I needed to do this. I could have gotten angry with them. I could have dismissed them. I could have came back at them. I could have defended myself. But I knew what God called me to do, and I had to stand in it. And I had the right to remain silent and let God prove me right. I'm telling you, when you stand silent and let God be your defender, you're going to be proved right. Jesus stood in front of those people as they accused him and argued with him and shouted at him and put him on the cross. He never said a word. He didn't defend his case. But three days later, God proved him right because he knew that God was his defender. That's why Paul says he left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. Do you leave your case in the hands of God? Or do you, like I said, form a committee, get all your workmates around you, talk bad about the boss, talk bad about the family members? And this is for the person next to you. It's not for you, okay? So you can, know, you can point at your neighbor and go, this is for you. But how do you respond when things come up against you? Do you want to fight back and defend your case? Get a ton of people after you. But I'm telling you, where's your heart in that? Here's a test. Can you not say a word? Can you not gossip? Can you not gather friends around your case when the very person that spoke e 